Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thought Shared, Souls Bared, the podcast, In Comes Company. I am Katie, <laughs> and I'm Jill, and we're just two theater-loving girls who decided to one day make a podcast all about theater, She's and theater today, today, we're going to be talking about, because it's spooky season, we're going to be talking about the ghosts that reside inside Broadway theaters. It's spooky so exciting. season, but I'm listening to Christmas music. Explain that. Can't really. I do not care for Christmas music. Yeah. I'm such a Grinch. I love Christmas music. I love Christmas everything. I'm such a Grinch. Christmas is the best. <laughs> All right, Anyways. Jill, do you want to wanna take it away? Sure. Okay, so the first, like, theater I want to talk about is Miriam Stern because it's like the longest it's like the most like what's the word I'm looking for like it's the most involved ghost story I guess it has a whole background there's like a whole thing for the new Amsterdam which is currently run by Disney uh they have a whole a whole story and background to their ghost and I'm ready to hear it I think it's so interesting so this is like information I pulled from Playbill and then I also pulled a little bit from like another website that I can't remember the name of but most of it's from Playbill um because Playbill has a whole article on Broadway Ghost. Yes and we highly so, recommend you okay. read it as well. Yes. yes so Olive Thomas who was a one-time Ziegfeld Follies Chorus girl that's how Playbill describes her. Honestly she that's that's who I, that's what I'd want to be. Like, if I were oh to be in New York in the 1920s, I had nothing else going for me. I may as well be a Zickfield Folly girl. Honestly. Um, Playbill says that she's by far the most active ghost on Broadway, which is, from what I could tell, true based on the other ghost stories that I'd looked into. Um, she comes up so much that Dana Amendola, who is the vice president of operations for the Disney theatrical group, put photographs of her in every instance of the theater so that workers could greet her when they arrived for work every single day, which is apparently what keeps her, like, happy. mischief at, like, yes, it keeps her the happiest, which, me, acknowledge <laughs> me and I'm happy. <laughs> like, acknowledge my existence and I'm happy. But her story is sad. It sucks because, like, it's honestly really freaking sad. So she was a chorus girl in the 1915 Ziegfeld Follies on the New Amsterdam main, main stage. I cannot talk today. And Ziegfeld's subsequent midnight frolics at the more intimate New Amsterdam roof on the top floor of this exact same building. She went out to Hollywood. She made a few silent films. And she made Jack Pickford, who was the brother of period superstar Mary Pickford. And when they, they were on a trip to Paris in 1920, Jack told her that he contracted syphilis and that she most likely had it also which love that like the whole next thing is like no one exactly knows what happened next it kind of is like the Marilyn Monroe story like with pills and everything so it's like kind of no one really knows what happened because I don't think Marilyn Monroe killed herself but that's a whole other discussion you think the Kennedys Um, did it yes I do think the Kennedys did it I absolutely believe that Official reports say that Olive accidentally swallowed an overdose of Jack's medicine, which was mercury bichloride, which is poisonous in large quantities. 
But how would she have accidentally done that? You don't just accidentally down an entire bottle of pills. Doesn't make any sense. But she died two days later as her body was brought back to Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx for burial. Wait, where she died in she died in California or would she die? She died in Paris, I think. Oh, okay. From what it says, it was like on their trip to Paris is when she died. Oh. All um, right. But then workers at the New Amsterdam started telling their friends that they'd like run into all this backstage. And they were like, um, she's dead though. So that doesn't make any sense. Like, actually, so she, I heard she died in France like last week. Right. Um, so she like kept coming up in and out throughout the 1920s. And then everything was quiet during um, the decades when 42nd Street was like completely on a decline and like the theater just was never used for th- for like shows and things. So reports came back again when Disney bought the corporation, but when, oh my God, when the Disney Corporation bought the theater in the mid 90s and they like had like this huge restoration of the New Amsterdam. So construction workers, um, we're reporting that their work area was being invaded by a woman carrying a blue bottle. Crazy. And then the reports kept going after the theater reopened with King David and Lion King in 1997 and has kept going since. So the Amendola, so Dana Amendola, who was the VP of operations for Disney Theatrical Group. Um, so when Amendola wasn't exactly a believer, but didn't not believe it, he was touring the old New Amsterdam Roof Theater, so that's like the top floor of the building, in the mid-2000s when it was converted into an office space. And as he passed below the stage, he suddenly and distinctly heard the sound of tap dancing on the boards above him. He really quick ran up stage to the stage level and he found that he was alone. So there was no one there, but he heard the tap dancing. Which, if I was a girl, that's what I would be doing too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so technically, since Dana Amendola is this ghost landlord, he has taken over becoming the keeper of her life, essentially, as a ghost, so, like, her afterlife. Um, so he, like, literally clocks reports of her appearances, so he will literally, like, document reports of her appearances. Um, so early reports of all his appearances described a young woman wearing a sash and carrying a bottle of pills who would sometimes speak. Strangely, people in various areas who didn't know one another would imitate her voice in exactly the same way. So, like, I don't know if it's a possession thing or if it's just these people being stupid. I don't know. But um, is there a recording? The, I wonder if a recording exists of her voice. I don't. I never looked into that. That's actually really good. I don't know. I'll look into it while you're discussing yours and we'll find it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's see. In the early Disney era, Amendola said that a night watchman at the theater resigned on the spot after reportedly witnessing a woman cross the stage and disappear through a solid wall. All right. Wait. That's aggressive. Um, (laughs) She... She often appears in the trap beneath what was once the stage of the New Amsterdam Roof Theater, the space where Amendola heard the mysterious tap dancing, and that space is now used for storage. But employees report seeing a woman there, or sometimes a disembodied part, part of feet climbing a staircase, which is terrifying. Um, during previews of Aladdin, this part was really interesting. 
um, there was a female replacement conductor who had worked with Mary Poppins and knew about all of like she had heard about all of and she was getting ready in her dressing room and she um, spoke out loud to Olive and said and just like quotes well Olive I'm back again and I'm a little nervous I just wanted to introduce myself again and ask if you could please give me some good luck then she said I wonder what the Follies girls would have thought of a female conductor and just then four of the round dressing room bulbs flickered on and off for a few seconds and then stopped and she said the bulbs were like all new had just been replaced in the new show and she said it was like a wink like she was signaling that she was fine with that idea I thought that was really cool <laughs> I thought it was, that's like, so cool isn't it I love and that then, um I know. And then Thomas may have made another appearance in the middle of the crowded New Amsterdam orchestra section. This part was also kind of like, it was really cool, but at the same time, I was like really freaked out by it. Um, so shortly after the opening of Aladdin in 2014, an audience member came up to one of the ushers during a performance and asked if she could have a booster seat for her child. The usher said that they don't like to interrupt the show, so they waited until after mission and they would come to her with a booster. But she already found one. When we asked where she had gotten it, she said a lady at the back of the theater had gestured to where they were. They don't have a woman at the back of the house who would do that in the middle of a show. And they checked and none of the staff had done it. So that's terrifying. <laughs> like that that's Olive. Um, and then they said, so Amandola said that if there really are such things as ghosts and if the Dram Firm is indeed haunted by one, she's happy about it. We embrace it. She's never violent, always playful. She kind of embodies what we're all about here at Disney. We're in the business of happiness and to have someone from so long ago acknowledging that she's pleased makes us feel like we're doing the right thing. And I think that's true. I think that like this story is definitely a good like Disney theater ghost story. I think it works it's so well. It's a very well Disney, Disney story. Theater. It is, and I, I feel like they should make a movie about it. I want an Olive movie. And Disney should be the one what? to do it. Well, maybe. Not, well, who oh. else would do it? Disney would be like, she's ours. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, but how would Disney deal with uh, an overdose? They don't have to include that. They could just have her as a ghost. And they just, like, explain away her death. Because yeah. it needs to be about her life. Really talk about her death. She's literally That's lived such a like, life. Honestly, Right, like, I mean, she's a freaking chorus girl and she was in silent movies. There's so many things they could do, I think. Yeah, but, it'd be so cool to see that. Yes, but so that's, that's the new Amsterdam ghost and I'm very fascinated with her. I think she's so cool. Me too. I love okay. that. I love okay. her. So the first theater that I'm going to be talking about is the Palace Theater, which is apparently has more ghosts than any other theater on Broadway. Which is very exciting. They have a lot. It's got like a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, just like Jill, I took from the same Playbill article and other sources as well, mix of other things, but Playbill really had it all. So apparently at the Palace Theater, there is a mysterious figure that passes through doorways at night, which is the epitome of any ghost. Yes. <laughs> there's also apparently a child playing peekaboo in the mezzanine i don't know how you figure out that i guess if you're on stage that's rehearsing terrifying. that would be so scary like you'd be like um whose kids that's up there so scary. like right. i'm just like, imagining I'm, I'm just imagining like a little kid going like peeking their head out from behind the railing and then i'd be like somebody needs to be watching that child up there 
yeah or rehearsals or something or like sweeping the stage you're like um that shouldn't happen um right. and then there's apparently a musician all in white in the orchestra pit but this is one of my favorite stories and it's also like the scariest story the spookiest story of it <sighs> apparently there's a ghost of an old vaudeville acrobat named Luis or Louis Borsolino and they were an acrobat who fell to their death while tightrope walking and apparently people who see the apparition of this event die within a year of witnessing it so if you're ever in the palace which you can't be for numerous reasons (laughs) a it's quarantine like lockdown and b they're renovating they're making they're doing a bunch of stuff to it which is only going to activate the ghosts more i just i don't understand like it's literally the most haunted theater on broadway and you're trying to activate the ghosts yeah and i think it's so the um tightrope walking ghosts that you talked about I always feel like the ghosts with the most like aggressive and violent deaths are the most terrifying ghost stories like how you said like if you like see it like you die within the year like that's terrifying and I feel like it's because they died like falling to their death doing what they love like that's so sad that's fucked mm-hmm. absolutely very violent very aggressive also there are reports of a voice people believe okay back up people believe that the theater is haunted also by judy garland because oh, I did see that, yeah. judy played the palace mm-hmm. much like liza played the palace and i remember watching an interview of annalee ashford and she said that when she would start the show as margot in legally blonde she right before the show would start she would always like acknowledge judy whether she was there or not, just acknowledge her presence. Be like, Judy, love you. Um, but the thing is, we don't actually know if the theater is haunted by Judy Garland. What we do know is that an actor once while getting ready heard somebody call for Judy, like say, Judy, like they were looking for her and there wasn't anybody who actually said it present and there also wasn't it that there was nobody named judy in the current yeah like crew and everything yeah mm-hmm. there's nobody named judy scared the hell out of me i would love it like that's the wildest thing i mean i would love that like i would love if judy garland would haunt me that's my dream but like hearing someone <laughs> just like calling for judy i'd be like what? like no, um... thank you I'm and the thing is, you know everything. it's Judy Garland. That's the thing is, you I mean, what know other it's Judy. Judy. Is there? What other Judy is there? That's that would be in the palace or in any theater. Hmm. Give me one other like major Broadway woman named Judy. But apparently, according to according apparently according to CityGuideNY.com, this says. Um, a young boy also rolls trucks in the hallway behind the mezzanine, but Judy is known to appear apparently at the rear of the orchestra pit near a door built specifically for her to enter and exit from during her palace concerts. So what? apparently they see her sometimes. 
That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I just Judy Garland. I do too. For me and my gal, love it. Yeah. It's it's wild. The palace also has um, a supposed former manager who's dressed in a brown suit who stalks the manager's office. Solid. And solid. Like, I mean, why not? Yeah. Of your job, you want to stick around? All right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the palace. Very like managerial type of ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. But apparently that musician in white uh will play the cello and then you'll hear oh, faint melodies from a Steinway piano late at night Interesting. I remember I remember watching an interview and it was like Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff or maybe it was just one of them and they said that they definitely broke equity rules on the night before their last uh performance in Spring Awakening and they like slept over in the Eugene O'Neill and I'm like excuse me that's oh my wild. God. I've always wanted to like spend the night in a Broadway theater though. Like that's like oh, on my too. bucket list. I want to do that. That yeah. sounds so much fun. I want it to be the Hirschfeld. The Hirschfeld. <laughs> the Hirschfeld like with the Moulin Rouge loaded. Like no other show. I want the Moulin Rouge I think I'd want the Palace of New Amsterdam. Or I want to Amsterdam would actually be really interesting. It'd be so much fun. The palace has too many. The palace has too many ghosts. <laughs> like the I would be too af- I'm fine with. I'd be too afraid to see the acrobat. Yeah, exactly. I'd be fine with hanging out with Olive for the night though. She sounds like fun. Yeah, she like sounds like she's a real... with Olive. She sounds like she's a hoot and a half. Yes. <laughs> All right, what's the next theater you got? Top dance together. Uh, the Glasgow <laughs> Theater. But I do need to put this out there first before I start talking about David Velasco because I know that he is a really awful human being. <laughs> he basically invented the, um, oh my God, the casting couch. He essentially invented that idea, um, which is disgusting. Um, so I need to put it out there that David Velasco is, or was not a good human being and I think we need to acknowledge that because it's he honestly was kind of messed up so all that being said the story is actually really interesting so the Belasco theater named after David Belasco um it was let's see so he was like huge name in the 19th century like huge huge like theater owner producer playwright whatever So he built the Belasco Theater in 1907, but only like decades later was it named after him, I believe. Because it wasn't, I don't think it was originally named the Belasco, if I remember correctly. I could be entirely wrong. Um, But he, let's see. He wrote two, two of the most famous like melodramas of all time which is Giacomo Puccini who I love I love a Puccini um opera he wrote Madama Butterfly and La I can never say this one La Fanciella del West I don't know if I said that right but yeah so he loved theater a lot he spent like every 
second of his day at the theater, writing, managing, directing, whatever he could do. He also spent like every night at the theater. So he made his home in an apartment above his theater on West 44th. And he spent so much of his life in that building that he is also spending his death there because he's a ghost haunting this theater. And he is one of the most alive looking theater ghosts, apparently. So he's not like, he's not like Olive, who's just like a little woman and like a wispy ghost type of way. He's like very much like a realistic human being. So it says he appears much as he did in life, which is tall with tousled hair and wearing the Catholic and clerical collar that was his lifelong affectation. Why? Um, he was known during his life, because he was known, um, get him into that. He said he was known during his life as the Bishop of Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which I think is really funny. Um, those who have seen him, but don't know his story, have nicknamed him his ghost as the Monk. Which is also pretty, yeah. Um, there was nothing monk-like about his lifestyle. Like I said, he basically invented the casting couch. <laughs> That's not necessarily something that a monk would do, but he did kind of look like one because of the clerical color and everything. Um, what else is there? There's like he's a very like involved guy. Um. Shortly after his death in 1931 was when he started to show himself in the theater. So after stepping on the stage, completely unaware, would suddenly notice a lone dark figure sitting in the balcony and watching them intently. And the ghost had a voice too. He would walk right up to actors and shake their hands, telling them they'd done a fine job at a performance. More than That's one so actor filed complaints with the house. Yeah. More than one actor filed complaints with the house manager that an old man dressed up like a priest has pinched their asses not even kidding you yes so wait these actors thought it was another actor or did they think yeah well there's no way they thought it was another actor they knew who was in their cast they just thought like some rando guy got in well they were like i don't know who this person is and he just like keeps pinching my ass what is this about like that's terrifying um, the uninitiated were often horrified, but veteran actors looked forward to these meetings, seeing them as a good omen. I would not, no offense, but that's not a good omen. <laughs> it's terrifying. And Belasco isn't alone because there's another ghost. There's a spirit known as the Blue Lady. She appears as an icy cold blue mist. So not like Belasco, she's like an actual like ectoplasmic being, <laughs> like most <laughs> other ghosts are. She's been seen on the theater stairways and dressing rooms, and there are reports of the sound of, how do you say, okay, I don't know how to say this word, but they're like crazy parties being held in the Belasco apartment, complete with the sound of feet dancing the 1920s era music. What's the word you can't Which pronounce? Is, raucous? Is it, is that how you say raucous? it? Raucous? R-A-U-C-O-U-S? Is that yeah, raucous. How you say it? Raucous. Okay, yeah. I'm just an idiot then. Um, but then work, when workers would get upstairs to see who's broken in, the apartment is completely empty and the dust is undisturbed. So, like, this woman is throwing mm-hmm. parties in this apartment. But Plato actually took a video camera up to the Velasco apartment in 2010. And um, the apartment was, like, completely the way that it was, whatever. And there are no plans at all to, like, renovate it or anything like that. Which I so find they're very just- interesting they're just not even going to convert it into like office space or anything they're just leaving an empty room 
Yeah. At the block. So it says, like, what sounds... says the apartment? That sounds know, But it says the apartment, dumb. ghost or not, would rent for millions if they ever put it back on the market. Yeah. So. Like, I would just assume um, they would turn it into, like, office space. Well, you would think, but I don't know. I think it's also they don't want to disturb David Velasco. <laughs> they don't want to piss him off. Um, there's another ghost, I believe. That's a lie. No, this is, okay, this is what it was. I was re- misreading this. Melissa Erico, who played Mina, is it Mina in Dracula's New School? I don't know anything about Dracula's New School. I don't know if it's Mina or Mina. I don't know. But she reported that Belasco does indeed haunt the theater. So she said, my dresser, Kathy, saw him walk into a mirror the other day, and she thinks he lives in the mirror on the wall outside my dressing room. One night, I forgot my coat, and I had turned out the lights in my room. I turned back to get my coat in the dark, and someone, David, turned the pretty, the small pretty table light on for me to see my way. It was spooky. As I opened the door to leave, as I was walking out, someone closed the door behind me. I didn't touch it, but I watched it move. <gasps> which is crazy. Spooky. And then... Getting into the spirit, the, I thought this was really cute though. So getting in the spirit of their supernatural musical, the cast of Dracula celebrated Blasco's 150th birthday that year with a cake and saying happy birthday to him. I thought that was cute. Um, during the run of Passing Strange, which I think you- I love Passing Strange. Passing Strange. <laughs> I love Passing Strange. That music is amazing. It's so during good. During the run of Passing Strange in 2008, Daniel Breaker told Plato in an interview that one evening he was putting on his makeup in his dressing room mirror when he saw an old man with white hair standing behind him, silently watching him. When Breaker turned around to demand what he was doing there, the man, who resembled nobody working on the show, was gone. Breaker reported the incident to the house manager and was told, you just saw David Belasco. <laughs> like, that's crazy and like all right and now what are we gonna do about that because i don't want that to happen again right like he's like i'm terrified of this (laughs) what is this um dominic brewer who appeared in 12th night and richard the third said that he hadn't spotted mr belasco or any of the theaters like ghosts or anything but with the white makeup several several of the cast were for 12th night along with the eerie gliding of the female characters you'd be forgiven for thinking you'd spotted a ghost backstage which I think is really funny. Um, they did have a strange happening on stage though. One evening, the candles on one of our six hanging candelabras completely burnt down, probably twice as quickly as all the others, without any perceptible draft or obvious external influence and unsolved mystery. That was interesting. I thought that was cool. Ooh. But apparently um, it's been pretty quiet since like the 2010 renovation. Um, but to tease him out, the creators of Hedwig and the Angry Inch actually wrote Velasco into the script. So, like, each night, Neil Patrick Harris and his, and his successors asked if anyone in Box B had seen the ghost, but there were no takers. Nevertheless, Wallace said, I can tell you that the front door of my office especially locks itself from time to time, and I know it isn't me doing it. I thought that was really interesting that they wrote him into it without, like, explicitly saying his name. That's interesting. I don't remember that. I did see Hedwig on Broadway. I don't remember oh, that happening, but hmm. I don't, again, when I first saw Hedwig, I was so confused what was happening the entire time and I didn't get it. And then I saw it the second, the second time I saw it, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. And the third time I was like, this is great. But both second and third time were not at the Belasco. They were at the Pantages. A so. friend of mine is like obsessed with the movie. So he's always trying to get me to watch it. But like, 
I think I tried watching it and I was like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, I don't know if this is what it was, I want to watch. It's a, it's like, it's a weird show. Yeah, it, it sure yeah. is a weird show. Um, I didn't understand what was happening the first time I saw yeah. it. I was like, this music's great. Love that I'm watching Darren Chris and um, Rebecca Naomi Jones, but I have no idea what's happening. I cannot follow the story. And the second time I saw it, I'm like, oh, I get it. I love it. And then the third time I was like, this is so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I have been in the Belasco once and I've been in the Palace once. I've not been in the New Amsterdam. I've never been in the Belasco, but every time I think of the Belasco, I think of Smash. <laughs> Why? Is that the theater that, that bombshells in? Yeah. I haven't watched Smash since it originally aired. I love Smash. It makes me happier. I do too. I'm going to rewatch it. it. I'm going to rewatch Smash. You should. All right. I'm going to do that. Is that the end of the Velasco? Yes. Okay. So the next one that I have is, of course, the Richard Rogers, a theater I do love. According to Blanca Camacho, there are reappearing red lipstick smudges in the ladies' room. They got painted and wiped, but they will always return. And then stall doors will open by themselves, which I think a haunted bathroom is disgusting. Like, why yeah. haunt a bathroom of all things? I don't get yeah. it. And, Curvy. you know, yeah. And then, you know, like every other theater, things will, you'll hear strange sounds and things will fall off the shelves. But the weirdest thing is apparently after hours, you'll hear like weird howling sounds and the chandeliers will move and you'll hear people walking. But this is like when apparently nobody's in the theater, which is wild. Yeah. And then Jimmy, the doorman, has like armed himself with a baseball bat before, which I don't know what a baseball bat does. Also, what if that's agitate the ghost? I know you're just like gonna go right through it, but like I mean, if you don't know it's a ghost, a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if you don't know it's a ghost, you're just like I'm ready to take out a trespasser. And yeah. then apparently, three different people have told Blanca about redheads. Um, they see her in box B about two a.m. And they'll see another guy in the mezzanine in row H. And then there was cast member Tony. Oh, I'm not, I'm going to miss, I'm going to butcher this last name. I want to say it's Chiroldis has twice felt the presence of his mother, who was also an actress at times. And she was also a redhead and none of these people knew of the other people's stories. So there are redheads just like roaming the Richard Rogers which I think is very interesting. That's fascinating. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? It's like nothing really like spooky or scary happened there. They're just like, it's just a beacon and a hub for all redheads to just yeah. in the afterlife. They're like, oh, um, so that's where, that's where you'll see a couple other people when who knows what happens. Yeah, yeah it's wild. Um, what else? What else? What else? During a company meeting, Tony saw a door open fully and close slowly all by itself, but they dismissed it until they heard these other stories. And then apparently these are all benevolent beings. And I think 
that the Richard Rogers would be a great place to spot a ghost. You see a red, random redhead just like floating there. You'd be like, <laughs> just of all the most random things to be, just a redhead. Just a redhead. Just a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's the Richard Rogers. So the Stephen Sondheim Theater, which I wanted to talk about this one because I love Stephen Sondheim. Um, this one's not as like interesting of a story. Like it's kind of it's a really short story, not really much to it. But Kevin Duda, is that, I think that's how you say his name, who played Neil Sadaka in Beautiful the Carol King Musical, said in the spring of 2014 that he had stayed late one night at the theater, walked up to the stage door, and realized he'd forgotten something in his dressing room. He noticed the old Henry Miller sign, which hangs over security desk. Henry Miller, um, the Stephen Sondheim theater, theater was built on the site of the old Henry Miller theater. Was it built on the site or was it just renamed? Because I thought it was just renamed. It was built on the site. It was rebuilt on the site, I believe. Oh. I think. I read a couple different things, but the majority mm-hmm. of the things I saw were that it was rebuilt. Um, but I could be wrong. Keep going. I'm um, figure this know, out. He noticed the old Henry Miller sign, which hangs over a security desk at the stage door. And as he returned to the elevator to go back downstairs, he said under his breath, wow, I wonder what Henry Miller thinks of this sign being relegated to the stage door. And the elevator bounced and stopped and he was stuck. He screamed for five minutes and finally Adolf, their head of security, came to his rescue and pried the doors open. He said, I have never said Henry Miller's name in this theater again. Like it's very much like a Macbeth situation. Like you never say it in that theater again. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really, really creepy. I thought it was really interesting, though, because, like, I love the whole, like, you can't say this name in this place kind of a story, like Macbeth. Like, when we did Macbeth at our school, like, um, like, a year ago, I think, we just called it Mackers. Like, that's just, like, what you call it, because it's, like, mm-hmm. you can't say Macbeth in the theater. <laughs> the Scottish play, you know, um, all those names. And now we, okay. now we don't even say Macbeth, like, even when we're just talking about it, we all just say Mackers, because we got <laughs> Mackers. <calling> Mackers. <laughs> okay, so I'm on the Wikipedia page for the Stephen Sondheim Theater. So it opened on April 1st, 1918, as the Henry Miller Theater, and it uh, was that all the way through 1968. And then in 1968, um it showed feature films and then it eventually became a porn theater and then <laughs> how you iconic. know and then in 1978 it was turned into like a disco the discotheque and then in 1998 it briefly returned to being a theater as the Kit Kat club for cabaret through roundabout and then And then 2001, the Kit Kat Club uh, and and a venue for private parties until it closed on April 11th, 2000. And then it was rechristened the name Henry Miller when You're in Town reopened in 2001. But the theater closed in 2004 and it was rebuilt by the Durst organization. And then it was briefly, so it was, it reopened. When did it reopen? Um, in 2007, 
Oh, no, sorry. It reopened in 2009 with Bye Bye Birdie, and that was the production with John Stamos. <laughs> I don't know why I remember I that, but John Stamos was in that production. production. I forget. Um, I think I just forget about Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. And then on March 22nd, 2010, on his 80th birthday, Roundabout announced that it would be renamed the Stephen Sondheim. The love of my life. The only man that will truly understand me. The LOML. I love him so much. I don't know who I would be without Steven Sondheim. Sondheim definitely has shaped part of my personality. I talk a lot about like Into the Woods isn't my favorite musical, but But I I will say this. (laughs) It has some of the most like poignant lyrics in any show ever. It is one of the most beautiful, like beautifully written lyrically shows. I... Because, like, with Stephen Sondheim, I I mean, I grew up listening to, like, West Side Story and watching the movie and everything. But, like, I think for me, what did Stephen Sondheim for me is definitely company. Because, like, I think I listened to that for the first time when I was, like, 13 or 14. And it didn't really, like, hit hard or anything with me. I was 13 or 14 years old. I couldn't relate to a 35-year-old man (laughs) who was, like, having a mental breakdown about his life. But... When I, I could when I was like 15 I was like time. I get it I get it I get honestly it. though honestly though marry me a like, little same <laughs> yeah but then like love me just enough <laughs> when I first got to see it for the first time when I was 18 years old I like was a fresh college graduate or high school graduate I'm still in college high school graduate <laughs> I like going, say, um... I drove yeah no I drove like 14 hours to go and see this show in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, um, to see Aaron Tveit do it at the Berkshire Theater Company, I think is where it was. No, Barrington. I could be wrong it? About. Was it Barrington, Barrington Stage? Barrington Stage Company. It was in the Berkshire's Barrington Stage Company. Thank you. Um, and there was this something, I had like a weird thing happen to me that night. Like I felt like that show was everything to me like there is every single actor in that show was so perfectly cast everything about it was just so good and since then company has been my favorite musical of all time and, and that's how number it, two, love assassin. and that's how I feel about um another Sondheim musical that's how I feel about Merrily Roll Along uh the yeah. when when I saw that show it was at the like I couldn't have seen that show at a more perfect time in my life um it was the it was 2016 I was a senior in college and I was like Michael Arden is directing a Stephen Sondheim musical I need to see it um because I really liked the song um opening doors like I really loved that song and I'm like oh I should go see the show that it's about and like Wayne Brady was in it and I was like of course I have to see Wayne Brady um and Aaron Lazar and Donna Vivino were um Frankie or were Charlie Frank and Mary um respectively and I saw that show and at the end of the show I was by the time opening doors happened I started saw like openly weeping because you would like see for anybody who doesn't know Marilyn we roll along works backwards like you see them at the end of their story and then by the end of the show, they're at the beginning of their story and they're singing with such hope and determination and life that they want to see happen. And when you 
it, it really hits differently when you know what's about to happen for them and all of these things that they want to happen. And it was just, I, I was at, at that, when I saw it, I was at the place that they were at, at the beginning of the show. And I'm like, oh my God, the life in the arts is going to be so hard. And yeah, it is, but it's also so fulfilling. Yeah. Anyway, I could talk about Mary Lee Long for hours. I had a very like similar experience though when I saw Company because like being alive is still, it is, I hate saying this because I say this about a bunch of songs, but being alive is the greatest musical theater song ever written. And I stand by that. I think it is. Absolutely so it is. Good. It is so good. And it's the hardest song to perform ever. And I love it. And so the first time I got to see it, which having it be Aaron Tveit being like my first experience seeing it live and seeing it because I'd heard like Neil Patrick Harris I'd heard Raul Esparza but I'd never gotten to see it and so the fact that it was like Aaron Tveit who was someone that I had admired for a while at that point and I loved everything that he did and then getting to hear him and see him perform this show like everything about it was just so raw and so real and just so beautiful and like I, I literally started like weeping in the middle of the performance because and I was like front row too so <laughs> but I was like just like weeping because I was like I literally I feel this man and the whole show is like accurate to my life because everyone in my life is always in a relationship and I'm just never in one <laughs> and like I'm fine with it but at the same time I'm like I'm with somebody like it's like I'm so much oh body. yeah like I see so much myself in Bobby and I've always like I have wanted to play Bobby for so long I know I can't do it vocally acting wise I think I could but vocally I could never um but I love that they finally gender bent company I have been I waiting and didn't Sondheim himself so say that he should have written it that way at the, to begin with he did he was like I don't know why I didn't do this in the first place he's brilliant. <laughs> and that's the thing though about company is like it was ahead of its time when it was first written it was like the early 70s like late 60s early 70s and it was so ahead of its time you didn't really talk about stuff like that in musical theater or like in you know mainstream art anyways and so um the fact that he like wrote it so well and like so beautifully it was like so ahead of its time and now having a gender bent it's very modernized and I think that that's really really special so do I the one and only time I've heard being alive sung live was Sondheim on Sondheim at the Hollywood Bowl it was um it was Jonathan Groff singing it to 17,000 people. Oh, but the thing that oh. most, and he, he was so good. He was so mm-hmm. good. But the thing that most that I will always remember and always get like chills from, from that performance was, or I should say that like production of Sondheim and Sondheim was the second, the opening notes of like Sunday played the like collective gasp amongst the audience and this is an open air like a re- like couldn't even call it amphitheater there we go it's like an amphitheater yeah it is an amphitheater yeah it's it was like yeah. a collective gasp that yeah. I will never forget and you just heard like it was so beautiful and that's how they like ended the first act Oh, I love yeah. that. That's like with company. I my favorite, my all-time favorite Bobby is Raul Esparza. I love Raul Esparza and everything that he does. I think he's one of the most talented human beings on the planet. Um, but I desperately want to see the survival. Like mm-hmm, me too. Katrina, like, come on. 
Katrina Lang. One of the most talented women of all time. Like, she's Chris Fitzgerald. So good. Oh. Matt Doyle. Matt Doyle. <laughs> Patty Lapone. I will Patty. talk about Patty Lapone. I love Patty. Oh, uh, oh my god. Yeah. Benson? Benson, yeah. Who I think was also in um the band's visit. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Band's visit yeah. is so beautiful. Oh god, I know. I'm so bummed that like the tour didn't get to we us cannot, before. We cannot keep mentioning Steven Sondheim because it gets us so off topic. I mean, we can literally the name of our podcast is Thought Shared Souls Baird. We are we can why can't we be a Sondheim? Literally the name of our podcast gives us the freedom to do so have whole episodes where i discuss company and you discuss merrily um okay i have a genuine question for you regarding ghosts in broadway theaters do you believe in ghosts i absolutely believe in ghosts absolutely are you have you ever had an experience no (laughs) but i I don't know, like, my subconscious has, but I don't think I actually have. I think that, like, my paranoia disorder <laughs> where, like, I think I have, but I think I'm just being paranoid. Um, but I thought that there was a ghost in my dorm room freshman year, and I think, I still fully believe that he has followed me <laughs> to this apartment <laughs> that I'm in. And my roommate has none of it. She hates it. She doesn't believe in ghosts, but at the same time, she won't let me do a Ouija board. And I'm like, why not? And she's like, I'm not touching any of that. And I'm like, so you believe in it? And then she'll go, no, I don't. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't believe you. <laughs> but I fully believe in ghosts. I do too. I have, I no, don't I think know if it's this because is... of Disney. Yeah. I don't know if this is like a ghost <laughs> experience. <laughs> I don't know if this is like an actual ghost experience. Did I tell you about this? It happened in January. It happened when I was in San Francisco. Did I tell you what happened to me in San Francisco? (gasps) Jill. I don't know how I didn't tell you this. So when I went to San Francisco in January, I was supposed to go up with uh, one of my friends. She ended up having to like bail on the whole trip. And so I drove up by myself. This isn't the ghost part. So we had booked a hotel room that was a double bed room because I like having my own bed when I'm on bed. Like I'll sleep in the same bed as a person, but I like having my own bed. But, right. um, so the, so the first night I get in, everything's fine. The second day I get out of the, I get out of the hotel. I get myself some breakfast. I get myself a little coffee. I get myself some Zycam because I was sick. Um, and I'm just like popping, popping zinc tablets the entire time. Uh, and, and then I go back into my hotel room and then, because my friend and I and her boyfriend are going to see Hedwig in the, not Hedwig in the year, oh my gosh, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Cursed Child parts one and two yeah. that, so we're going to spend that entire day seeing Harry Potter. And so I leave my, I should mention this. Every time I got into the elevator in this hotel, every person was going to the sixth floor. That is where I was staying on the sixth floor. Every single time, everybody would always, somebody would push the sixth floor and it, and everyone else who was in there would be like, oh yeah, that's my floor too. And I was like, mm, that's a little sketch. So we're, so I'm getting, my friend texted me that she's almost in front of the hotel. So she 
So I leave my room and there's, there's also a rave happening across the street. And so there's ravers staying in our hotel, which like, fine. Yeah. I'm friends with ravers. Like that's nothing to be weirded out about. And right. so I see people in like, they're, they're clearly dressed and they're going to a rave. And I'm wearing like a long black polka dot dress, my coat, some like tights. I'm good. And then one person is like, the it was either one guy and two girls or two guys and one girl. I don't remember. But one guy is like, your dress is so cute. And I was like, oh, thank you. We're still waiting for the elevator. Yeah. And then the girl was like, you're so beautiful. And then she's, and I was like, thank you and I'm so uncomfortable at this point and she's like no like you are so beautiful and she takes her hand and she like puts it on my face and this was pre-COVID actually we the United States would learn about COVID like two like a week later not even and San Francisco would end up being a hot spot and she like puts her hand on my face and she's like and I'm like oh okay thank you and I'm like shutting down I'm going full catatonic at this point and then the elevator finally opens and we get in there and I'm just like I hate that I'm in an elevator with these people right now we make it to the lobby and then I'm waiting for my friend and then she's like hey we're in front and so then I go out and we have the whole day together coming back I was nervous because I'm like these people I'm afraid about these people so I I, um, my hotel room, it's like you, I missed it the first time I went looking for it. Yeah. It was directly in front. So imagine like a T the, the, Mm -hmm. um, the elevators face each other on like the stem of the T and on the top of the T is where all of the, um, hotel rooms are. Mine was at the very middle of the top of the T. So right at the intersection. I completely missed it the first time I saw it. So I get off the elevator. I think I was, by, I think I was by myself at this point, but I, there's a single red solo cup in front of my door in the middle of the floor in front of my door. And I'm like, I am terrified. These ravers came and like, and put something there. I don't know what it's there. So I move it across with my foot. And then I hear buzzing happening from the other side of the door. And I'm like, what the fuck? What is this? Like, what is happening? And then I'm like, okay. I'm like prepping myself. I'm like getting ready. I'm like, if there is somebody in my room, I need to, need to be prepared. So I had like my phone in my hand. And then I had my, um, my key card to get into the hotel room. I put the key card in. And I'm still hearing this like buzzing, this like static buzzing from the other side of the door. And then I open the door and I swing it open enough so that I can see inside my room. The buzzing immediately stops. And the clock, which looks kind of exactly like this one, which was on the desk that was right by the door, it flashes to like 12.01. It was 11 o'clock. And there had been like issues with that clock the entire time, meaning it had like just restart. So the time on the clock changed the buzzing stopped and I'm like totally spooked in my room. So I am, I, I have the flashlight on on my phone and I go into the bathroom and I like pull across the, um, the shower curtain, nothing's in there. I open the 
closet, which is like a super old closet, like has like one of those doorknobs that are like kind of rickety. And I open mm-hmm. and I'm like looking everywhere with my flashlight, nothing's in there. And I look, and because there are two beds, I have to check two separate spots. Oh my God. And I have to go in and I'm like, okay, nothing's there. Nothing's there. And at one point I'm just sitting in my bedroom and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I pack everything up and I just go back down stairs and I'm like, hi, I, do you have any other rooms? I cannot be in this room. And he's like, why was there something wrong? And I'm like, I'm and the, I straight up told him I have bad vibes in this room. I can't do this. <laughs> and he's like, you know, we're actually booked for the, for the night you can. And I was staying one more night. It's like, you can, you can try back tomorrow, but we don't have anything. And I'm like, oh, fine. And then, so I, I, I get back on the elevator like I assessed all my options. I'm like, I can find another hotel or I can just tough it out for the night. And I said, yeah. I'm just going to tough it out for the night. I don't want to spend more money if I was, cause I was the next week I was going to New York. Right. Um, and so I get into the elevator and then another guy gets on with me, like a man. And it's like me and like a grown man yeah. by ourselves. And I press six and he goes, oh, that's mine. And I go, nope, can't do this. And I just no. get off the elevator and I'm like, I can't. I can't do this. And I get off the elevator. I was so spooked. And I like called my friend. I'm like, I need to be on the phone with somebody as I'm going up to my bedroom, going up to my hotel room. I couldn't do it. It was wild. And then there's this, there's this podcast I listened to called Ghosted by Roz Dressfeles. Cause I like, I love all things ghosty and Roz Dressfeles, who's a drag queen here in LA. He has and everywhere, but he's based in LA. Um, he was talking about how he and his friend had gone to San Francisco and they were talking about how the hotel that I was staying in and they stayed in was haunted on the sixth floor. So, and, and this like totally checks out because on the desk in the hotel room, there was like a book. So it was like a, it was like one of America's most like historic hotels or something like a big book of like every hotel that's um that makes the list and there were little icons on the bottom of each page and I was like oh I don't know what those are and then I flipped to it when I had like got back to my to my room and I was like whatever I flipped to the page and I see a little icon and it's a little ghost icon and that means that it's haunted like the answer like the key says it's haunted and I'm just like Cool. So like I was on the haunted floor and I, everything scary happened. Did I see those? No. Do I think that's very sketchy? Absolutely. Because every single person I was on that, every person that I got on that elevator with was also going to the sixth floor. That's crazy though. Dude, okay. Have you ever stayed in the Roosevelt, the Roosevelt Hotel in Midtown? Yes. You have. Okay. So I stayed there with my parents. It was like my first trip. That's the one that's that's the one that's on like Lexington, right? It's on. It's like it's like way midtown. It's like midtown east. It's not even like in the theater district. It's like two blocks from the theater district. Like it's a walking distance to Schmackers. Oh well, it's then the, no. It's I on mean, are you thinking? Are you thinking of the Edison Hotel? No, I'm talking about the Roosevelt. No, because I definitely stayed at the Roosevelt. Hold on, I'm pretty sure the Roosevelt's on 45th because we walked to Schmackers. No, I stayed at some hotel. Hold on. Hotel. The Roosevelt is on East 45th. 
No, but look at the cross streets. Vanderbilt. Yeah, which is in like Lexington. It's like right by Lexington. It's way so. east. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's not Lexington's within like... walking distance of Schmackery's. I think that you're thinking of the Edison. I could have sworn it was the Roosevelt. Hold on. Because I know what hotel you're talking about. You're talking about the one that's like across the street from the Richard Rogers and um, like next to the Scientology building. No, not that one. No. No. Oh my God. You can get a $71 a night ticket stay at the Roosevelt. Which is cheap. Yeah. I've never seen a hotel that. Oh my god, these hotel prices are. Yeah, because the Roosevelt is like down here. You can see it, but the Roosevelt like on Forty Fifth, and it's literally a straight shot, twenty minutes up to Schmackery's. Yeah, twenty minutes. Well, yeah, but it didn't feel like twenty minutes when I was walking. <laughs> but you're, but so we're both we're both talking about the same hotel, right? I think so. With yeah. like the grand but, entrance and yeah. like marble stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I so, said there. Okay. So I stayed there with my parents. It was like um, 2019. I went 2018. It's 2018 because we went and saw Wicked and Waitress for my birthday. It was a birthday trip. That's wild. That's when I stayed there too. Really? January. Oh, mine was February. So it was literally right mm. after um so my parents like took me to New York for my birthday to see a couple shows and like it was their first time seeing Broadway shows I was really excited to go with them and my mom was like oh well we got like a really good deal on Expedia like with our plane ticket and like booking your plane ticket and our hotel and everything and I was like oh cool I love Expedia I always use Expedia same it's amazing so I was like oh like what hotel are we staying at because like normally we stay at a choice hotel because my mom is like a member or whatever choice hotels and whenever she used to like travel for work and stuff and um she was like I think it's like the Roosevelt and I was like the Roosevelt and she's like yeah and I was like do you know anything about the Roosevelt and she's like no and I was like that's where they filmed like a lot of like movies like that's like supposed to be like a really like creepy hotel like it's apparently like really like haunted and everything I don't know any of the ghost stories but like I've heard so many things like about it being haunted and my mom was like well what do you mean (laughs) she was like I'm sure it'll be fine it's not a mistake because my mom like loves to be like I don't believe in ghosts and I'm like I know you do don't even so we like get there we check in and everything and it's so beautiful like it's one of the most beautiful hotel lobbies I've ever seen it's stunning and I immediately was like, this was in Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, this was definitely in Ghostbusters. And, um, and my mom goes, it was in Ghostbusters? <laughs> and my dad goes, this is literally in Ghostbusters. <laughs> and um, so my mom starts like, she's like, I'm sure it'll be fine. It's okay. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then like, I like was Googling like all the shows and movies that have like been filmed at the Roosevelt and everything. And I found out that Brain Dead had been filmed at the Roosevelt in one of the ballrooms and I was like wait it was filmed in one of the ballrooms like what scene was it and like I was obsessed with brain dead I still am obsessed with brain dead but it was like one it was like the tax prom scene and the show was filmed in one of the ballrooms so like me (laughs) being a mess was like can I go find this ballroom (laughs) because I want to just like sit in it like I just want to like experience this and my dad was like no you're not leaving (laughs) I was like fine so (laughs) We like we get up, we like get on the elevator and everything. The elevator is creepy and it looks like straight out of Tower of Terror. 
like I, remember. I, I remember just like the exterior of it like the doors and everything it looked old like you could tell that like this was an old hotel which I love usually but like after being like this was in Ghostbusters like I was a little <laughs> freaked out so it looked really old and everything and my sister who was like living in New York at the time came and like was hanging out with us and everything and so she like gets there and she's like this is creepy <laughs> like this is like definitely haunted because <laughs> we get up to our floor and I'm pretty sure that we were on like the 12th or 13th floor so that was already really freaking creepy and so we get up to like our room and everything and like as soon as you step off the elevator I'm like this is haunted like it looked haunted like everything about it just looked so old and so creepy I remember- and like the rooms were fine but the ho- the hallways and everything were so <laughs> See, I don't remember anything about that. I remember there being, like, no outlets in the hotel room, so. That, too. That was really annoying. And I was like, excuse me, I need to, like, charge some things? Right. Like, my dad. We ended up having to, like, plug it into the TV at one point. Because, like, me and my dad are, like, insane, and we travel with, like, all of our technology. So, like, I had my iPad. I had my phone. I had, like, I'm pretty sure I took my laptop because I think I had, like, some schoolwork to do it was like during the semester and then like my dad had his ipad and his work phone and his regular phone and like all this stuff and i was like we need to stop traveling with so much technology because there are zero outlets every time that we need them. <laughs> that's when that's when i learned to that's when i learned to travel with a uh a, a power strip yes oh my god honestly but yeah so the roosevelt was definitely haunted i didn't have any weird experiences there but i could feel it in my bones i knew it was haunted what do you think about the um, theory that all um, theater ghosts, like there's not necessarily a theater ghost as much as it is just the energy, residual energy from actors. Like, what do you think about I, that? I've heard about it vaguely, so I don't really like, I don't know, I had never really heard about it much. Um, but I think I don't know because it's like it's honestly viable because like actors have so much like energy like and live theater in and of itself is like a lot of energy because I know um I was talking a couple weeks ago um with a couple people in the theater department here at my school and they were like we had just finished doing two like shorter plays and like we broadcast them over zoom instead of having people come to them and they were like, it was weird. Like, they were like, we couldn't, like, feed off of anybody. And, like, live theater, like, filming live theater is different than, like, filming a television show or, like, filming something like that. Because it's, like, there are certain things and plays and stuff that, like, when you say you are needing, like, an audience reaction of some sort. And so, like, I think that since live theater does have so much energy connected to it, I think that that's honestly very plausible. Yeah. I mean, I believe it because sometimes things will just happen and it's not like you're seeing an apparition. It's just... And it's also like, when you get done with the show, you are wired. Like, you literally are, like, so wired that, like, you can't sleep for, like, hours. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I mean, who knows? Honestly, it could be, could be everything. Yeah. Anyway. It could be ghosts playing jokes on actors who are really wired and exhausted for the show they're like I did this this happened to me it's gonna happen to you too yeah (laughs) (sighs) what a what a what a topic 
what a topic I love that topic I love a theater I love ghosts I I love Love just talking about ghosts and like the whole point of like a ghost light is to keep the ghosts at bay and give them their and the dark day in a theater is to give them their opportunity I mean yes it is also for actors to um have a break (laughs) but also (laughs) it's for but yeah but it's also for ghosts to have their time to perform should we discuss why I love ghost stories theater ghost stories so much sure explain it because I'm not sure I know because like I think I told you about it the other day um I am I've been I was infatuated with Abraham Lincoln when I was a kid oh yes you did tell me that (laughs) <laughs> yes, so I was like really, I was obsessed with Abraham Lincoln as a kid, and there was just like, so, I don't know, because like when you're a kid and you're taught about all these presidents, you're taught about them being great people, and so like Abraham Lincoln was like, he freed slaves, and I was like, hell yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's like, and then up. as you get, and then as you get older, you realize there's like this complete dichotomy to every single president that's ever existed. Exactly, like every president is a war yeah, criminal human. in some sort of way, and like yeah, so it's like oh okay, everyone except William Henry Harrison, <laughs> poor guy, <laughs> poor dude. Um, I love that we probably only know that because of Parks and Rec. Like we only absolutely. Know about it well, no, 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 no. Here's the thing: I knew there was a president who only lived for thirty days of his presidency because. Yeah. I want to say it was in like 2004. It might have been in 2000. Nickelodeon was running this um, was running this commercial to like inform people about the election. Um, yeah. And at one point they mentioned that, and then it all they they also like they associated each person with something. And for him, and I never remembered who it was, but they so they associated him with only living three days um Nixon was I resign and then (laughs) and uh Reagan's was a monkey because I guess he did a movie with a monkey when he was a movie star um and those are the only ones I remember right now but late so that that. and I was always like 30 days what (laughs) he died of the flu (laughs) (laughs) but that's how I remember that but Parks and Rec definitely let me remember his name Oh, absolutely. But I was, like, so obsessed with Abraham Lincoln as a kid, and when I was learning about Abraham Lincoln, only, the only thing, like, aside from, like, oh, frame the slaves and everything that we learned about was, like, how he, how he died. And even then, we weren't really taught much about Donald Booth. It was mostly just Abraham Lincoln, um, which is valid. Donald Booth was a horrible human being. Um, <laughs> but it was, like, I don't know, like, something about, like, not being taught any of that, like, any of the stuff about Donald Booth made me more interested in him, because growing up, I always loved a villain story. Gaston was my favorite character in Beauty and the Beast. He still is. Um, like, I love a villain. Like, Cruella de Vil, sign me up. So, I was, like, so... The Duke in Moulin Rouge. Exactly! I love it! So, I was, like, obsessed with, not obsessed with Donald Booth, but I was, like, obsessed with learning about him, and, like, I wanted to know more about him. And when I found out he was an actor, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, that's it for me. I love this story already. I was like, this is so fascinating to me already. And so I was kind of just like, like, I read about him all I could. And like, whatever way that I could learn about Donald Trump and Abraham Lincoln, like, in any possible way I could, I learned about him. And so I, when I found out how Lincoln died, like, when I was taught how Lincoln died, I was like, that's so interesting. 
I was like, there is no way that this man isn't just haunting the Ford Theater. Like, absolutely no way that this man doesn't haunt the Ford Theater. I haven't really looked into it much recently. So, like, I don't remember if, like, there are any ghost stories about him. But I think it would be interesting to just, like, hang out in the Ford Theater for a little bit to see what would happen. But, like, then when I was, I don't know, I think I was 14 when I first listened to Assassin's. And I heard Ballad of Booth for the first time. I was like, wow. Ballad of Booth is like one of my favorite songs. It's just, it's so good. But it is. I love it's Assassin's because it's, I love Assassin's because it doesn't make you feel bad for these people. Like you definitely mm-hmm. understand them, but you don't feel bad for them, which is important, no. I think. I love, I love this song, um, Unworthy of Your Love. I oh, think I it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh so, so hard. Oh my god, it makes me laugh so hard. But it's like it's so funny okay. because like my dad. Oh, when what when were the Manson murders? That was in like the early '60s, right? Yeah. I don't know. My my dad's family had like just probably just moved to like L.A. and all of a sudden like all of these like murders were happening <laughs> around them. <laughs> just like like my dad distinctly remembers it. And the other thing about Assassins is, like, I, because did you hear about the, like, original beginning of the musical during the Sondheim concert in March? Like, um, I don't remember. I think it was Brent Smith Mitchell, like, tweeted it. Someone tweeted it when, or was it Brent Smith Mitchell was singing the song? I don't remember, like, but I remember saying an Someone sang a cut song from Assassins. And then tweeted, I think it was Brent Mitchell, sang it and then tweeted like the original opening for Assassins. And it was the song that he was singing. So essentially this song is like a parade of these like people. And it's like, I don't know how to, like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the way that I read it, I literally started crying. Cause I was like, why would you take this out? Like, I was like, this is genius. Like, why would you do that? But like, I don't know, like Assassins is so, it's, honestly one of my favorites it is my favorite like historical musical because I think oh. it is genius. Joe, Man- Joe Mantello he directed Assassins didn't he which Assassins like the two he directed the original or like the 2004 version right I think it did the 2004 I feel like I remember okay. listening to somebody talk about staging Assassins and talking about how they used like a white t-shirt and they just like projected the Zapruder film onto it during that's interesting I don't remember where I heard this but I want to say it was Joe Mantello talking about it I couldn't tell you when or where I wouldn't be surprised because he's awesome he's like he directed Wicked yeah no he's He's one of the he's one of the rare he's one of the rare actor directors who does both frequently didn't he direct Boys in the Band too? I think so. But he directed I recently Wicked? watched that on Netflix actually. Yeah. Was it good? I haven't watched it yet. I don't I didn't finish it. I was like half asleep when I started it, so I need to like rewatch it. Oh. I suggested he, it to someone too. So. But he directed Wicked, but then he goes and he's like, I'm gonna go be in uh, Hollywood. I'm gonna be Ryan in Mar- Ryan Murphy's right. Hollywood. And be he's amazing. A, yeah, he's great. He's amazing. But like um, what I think is so interesting, Assassins can be done so many different ways and still be the same musical. And mm-hmm. I think that's 
so interesting because like I I've never seen a production of it because like it doesn't get produced often in the U.S. um which is a whole interesting topic in and of itself. Yeah, always... especially considering it's about U.S. president. Well, it's because a lot of people think that it like it doesn't vilify. Like a lot of people don't know glorifies well enough. They probably but, think yeah, it, like, so they think glorifies. it glorifies these people, and um, which is also it's valid because like if you don't listen to it, you kind of assume that that's what this musical does. Like if you don't know anything about it, which makes sense. Um, but I know the one I've seen the most like clips from and stuff is from the 2014 production I believe at the Minier Chocolate Factory in London it was directed by Jamie Lloyd I believe right Jamie Lloyd I think um and it had Catherine Tate Aaron Tveit um it's mostly like West End actors I believe like it was a lot it was a really really talented cast like everyone was amazing um and I've seen a few clips from it like a few like bootlegs um and like I've heard audio from it and it was done in like what theater circle in the square like it's kind of similar is a but it was very small it's a very 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 small theater like the Minneapolis Chocolate Factory theater is very small um so it was a few hundred people maybe in this audience and like they're all like surrounding the theater and surrounding the stage like in like a three like a peninsula type of thing and it's um honestly like listening to it one of the best productions of assassins out there like it sounded amazing and then like the few clips that I saw were just like genius like they were just so good like the cast was amazing everyone was so because it was very stripped down like the musical itself is very stripped down like it's not very like extravagant or spectacular or anything so I don't know. I just think assassins can be done so many different ways. And I just... Well, I was excited for it. So well done. I was excited for it. I think Classic Stage Company was supposed to do it off-Broadway. We were going to see it together. (laughs) Mm We were going to see a lot of things. I know. Like, we were so excited because we were like, Stephen Pasquale is almost booed. (laughs) I know. And then Ethan Slater was in it. I think Will Swenson was in it. Wesley Pickler was in it. I know. Oh, who was the... Who was the balladeer? I don't remember. I thought that was Ethan. Was, was he? I'm, I, I, I would. I that role was made for Ethan Slater. Probably. No, SpongeBob like, was made for Ethan Slater. He was SpongeBob. Yeah, that's true. And then the balladeer is like a close second. Yeah. I feel like Ethan Slater would be so good as a balladeer. Yeah. Um, but Stephen uh, Pasquale is freaking dog booth. God, I want to see that so bad. Because his voice is so perfect for it. Oh my God, it would have been amazing so good yeah Ugh. anyway long we tangent off topic about Stephen Sondheim thing well that's totally fine because we're wrapping fine. this up anyway we're allowed okay if you guys want to follow us on social media Jill what are our, what are our social media handles our Instagram is thoughts shared podcast our TikTok is thoughts shared podcast and our Twitter is thoughts shared underscore because podcast was too long. <laughs> and if you want to follow me individually, I am on Instagram at complete Katie. I'm also on TikTok at Katie Fornia. So that's K A T I E F O R N I A. And Jill, if you want to follow her individually, 
I am at it's still Hayes on all platforms. Perfect. TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, the like. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Later. Bye. <laughs> Bye.